A while back, I wrote a book called The Rise of the Water Kingdom, which was meant to be the gospel retold in an allegorical and fantasy type of way. Since we can't meet this week for Palm Sunday, Good Friday, or Easter, and tell the whole story as the week goes on, I thought it might be worth doing things a little different tonight. Since my book tries to retell the entire gamut of the last days of Jesus' life on Earth, I thought it might be fun to read that section of my book to you. Oftentimes, it's the Bible stories we know best that we tune out on, so perhaps hearing them retold in a new light will help us pay attention not just to the Easter story, but also to the overarching themes that the New Testament writers saw in the Easter story. Themes like God's coming kingdom and the war against Satan, how the cross dethroned Satan, what Jesus did while he was in the grave, what resurrection life actually is, and much, much more. I'll emphasize these themes both with historical research, cross-biblical references, and simple imagination. Now, since I'm starting at the end of my book, there's a few things that need explaining. So, first, my Jesus character is called Sarks, which will become obvious very quickly. Secondly, Satan in this book is a dragon known as the Plaintiff because he's always busy accusing humanity, just as the Bible paints him doing. The Plaintiff rules over the world from his headquarters in a volcano. You'll also notice that his legs and wings are mechanical. Uh, the illusion here is that he's really the snake of the Garden of Eden who lost his legs, but he has since then tried to make machines to make himself more frightening. Thirdly, when humans give their lives to be used by this great dragon, the plaintiff, they either A, start to look and act like snakes or dragons themselves, or B, the snakes will come along and consume them and possess them, adjust to the look of their body, and pretend to be them until they are done with them. At that point, these snakes will either spit them out or eat them. Okay, last thing before we start. When I was growing up, there was this thing called radio theater, and I loved it. Uh, long car rides, uh, we would put in this tape and listen to the story told with music, sound effects, acting, uh, the whole bit. And this was as close as you could get to having TV in a car. That's what 1208 TV tries to do tonight. Yeah, there's gonna be pictures on the screen, but there's not many of them and they move slowly. Uh, the point of tonight's episode is really to get submersed in the audio. So if you're watching this alone, put in some headphones and, and really submerse yourself into it more deeply. If, if you're with a family, uh, try not to use your phone too much so that you can stay concentrated on the story that's being told. I'm really hoping that you'll find this radio theater exciting and engaging. So with that, Let's begin. May I borrow this donkey? asked Bart. The man stared at Bart with a strange expression. Yes? asked Bart. That looks like a yes. I'm going to take that as a yes. Bart then grabbed the donkey and walked out the front gates of Old Salem, while the man stared on without saying anything. They said yes, I think, 
Bart told the gang while Sarks mounted the donkey. Time for the king to enter his kingdom, Johnny whispered to Jimmy. Well, we'll be his right-hand men, Jimmy said, raising his eyebrows and slapping Johnny's hand. Though it was impossible that Sarks would have heard them, he turned to them as though he did. You still don't know what you're getting into, do you? You do not know the cup you are asking to drink, but it will be offered to you. The two of them hung their heads low as Sarks looked at them, but when Sarks looked away, they looked back at each other and smiled. The donkey then made its way into the gates of Old Salem, immediately grabbing the attention of everyone present. The city was packed for the most sacred holiday of the year and the smell of roasted lamb filled the air. That's the guy who brought that one guy back to life, a woman whispered. They say he's going to bring God's kingdom back, another man said. That he'll revive old Salem. You mean install new Salem, corrected a woman. I heard he's got royalty in his blood, said another woman. Descended from the great king of old himself. All hail King Sarks, a man cried from across the street. All hail King Sarks, a woman replied from elsewhere. All hail King Sarks yelled three children in front of Sarks's donkey. Soon everyone was gathering around and calling out praises to God and to his new king. A man started singing a holiday song and all of the crowd joined in as they began to inaugurate Sarks with a makeshift parade right in front of the kings that already existed and the religious leaders who desired to see his demise. In that moment, the praises of God's people were louder than they had been in a long time. And at the same time, the spiritual weight of the atmosphere was heavier than it had ever been. And there was not a moment that Sarks could not feel it pressing down on his shoulders. Eventually, Sarks and his group reached a home in which they were given space to celebrate the holidays. Sarks dismounted his humble donkey and waved goodbye to everyone and then went inside to prepare dinner. While he did so, the gang broke up for a bit to enjoy the festivities of the day. Sarks' friends later returned to the house and met in the living room to discuss the day's events. They were pumped up like never before. I can't believe it's happening, shouted Tom as he raised a glass. <laughs> New Salem is almost here. Hear, hear, yelled the others as they clanked their glasses together. Just think, and Tom will be ruling this city, smiled Johnny. Associates of God's one true king, exclaimed Jimmy. It is amazing to think of it that way, nodded Mason. Do you think it's quite that simple, though? asked Junia sheepishly. What do you mean? asked Thad. You know, she replied, installing the kingdom and all that. Well, let's recap, shall we? Phil broke in. We're following a man that calls himself the Son of Man, uh, that demons call the Son of God, who, who strikes fear into armies of demons, who controls the waves, who has the power to raise the dead, and has the audacity to march into hell itself and plant a flag. <laughs> I'm sorry, how much more simple could it be? The guy is unbeatable. I don't disagree with that replied Junia. Then what do you mean? asked Jimmy. Junia let out a sigh as she twirled her drink with her hand. I mean the things you all keep ignoring. Uh, like earlier today, uh, Jimmy and Johnny were told that they didn't know what they were getting into, 
They were also scolded when they threatened to burn the place to the ground with supernatural power. And Mason, Starks thought that your passion might be used the wrong way when you pledged your life to his cause. And unless I misunderstood, I think he told us directly that he was going to die. I feel like there's been other strange expressions he's made too. I just can't remember them all. I think you're looking into all this a bit much, said Matt. The man speaks in mysteries half the time. Yeah, there's probably just some metaphorical meaning behind those things he said. What if there's not? She asked. What if this kingdom of his isn't anything like... Like... Like what we've always expected it to be? Junia's statement was followed by a long silence, which meant that it was a perfect time for Bart to cut in with the well-timed joke. But what he had to say wasn't the kind of commentary anyone expected from him. I mean, she could be right, he said. Like you said yourself, Phil. He just walked into hell and planted his flag. I hope I'm wrong, but I imagine that has repercussions. I'd too like to hope that things go the way we've expected and that we completely overthrow our oppressors and install the kingdom as soon as tomorrow, but... Bart's words were cut off by the squeak of a door. Sarks came through it with a towel around his arm and a bowl of water in his hands. He was wearing no shirt and looked like a common slave. And if he didn't feel humiliated, his friends sure felt humiliated for him. Several tried to look away. Uh, but then there's moments like this, continued Bart. If you wish to be a part of what I'm doing, you must let me serve you and wash your feet, Sark said. Everyone stared blankly and a few mumbled something. You've all been cleaned in the waters of the kingdom already, but you have kicked up a bit of dirt upon yourself since. I must remove it, and you must continue to let me remove it every time. And as I take on the posture of a slave for you, so you must take on this posture for others. For it is the lowly slaves of this world that are the princes of the next one. To choose temporary slavery now if you wish to have a greater return in my father's kingdom. Mason stood up slowly and made his way to Sark's, causing the rest to reluctantly follow. Judah was the only one who didn't get up from his spot. I, I don't feel well, he said when his turn came. His face was hot and cold at the same time and his stomach turned. Then I'll come there, said Sarks as he sat on the ground in front of him and began to wash his feet. Judah turned away and felt like he was going to throw up. Sarks finished the ritual and invited everyone to sit at the dinner table for the holiday feast. It was a time full of traditions that all around the table knew well and followed almost without thinking. First a cup of wine was brought to the table and Sarks picked it up and said a blessing over it. After this, the night's meal was laid out on the table and the appetizers were eaten. You could tell by the joyful noises everyone made that it was quite delicious. Next, a second cup of wine was poured and Sarks began to tell the holiday story they all knew quite well. You'll recall that our people were once slaves under an oppressive nation, he said. But God came to our aid and made us free women and men. He poured out his righteous judgment upon our oppressors and their gods in attempts to get them to let us go. 
their king was a stiff-necked king, and it took harsh judgment to break him. His firstborn, along with all the firstborns of his nation, human or animal, were taken. But we all painted the blood of a sacrificial lamb on the doors of our houses. And when God saw that blood, he passed over our houses and let us live. Then Sarks threw everyone for a loop when he broke from the traditional story. For instead of identifying the foods in front of them in the holiday ways that everyone expected, he gave them new meaning. He picked up a piece of bread, broke it, and said, I am the bread of life, and I will suffer and be broken for you. Eat this in remembrance of me. Everyone looked around, waiting to see who would eat it first. The whole thing didn't sit well with them, Judah especially. But finally, they ate, Mason once again in the lead. Judah gripped his stomach tightly as it gurgled so loudly everyone could hear it. Everyone looked to him as a frown came over Sarx's face. Judah looked into Sarx's eyes, but everything was so bright that he could hardly see. His pupils were three times the size of everyone else's. His head spun and Sarks became blurry and doubled in vision. It appears you have already decided on this matter, Sarks said. He then leaned close to Judah and stared into his lifeless eyes, which, for a moment, were replaced by the very eyes of the plaintiff. A snake-like tongue hissed from his mouth as a devious smile overtook his face. Do what you came here to do and do it quickly. Sark said with little inflection in his voice. He then ran out the door as a snake opened its mouth and immediately took over his body. Mason stood up to ask for an explanation about what had just happened, but Sark's gaze was locked onto the cooked lamb on the table. Suddenly, Sark snapped back too and looked at Mason with heavy eyes. I, um, I'm sorry, what did you say, Mason? He asked. Shouldn't we go after him? Mason asked. Aren't we all in danger? Uh, we, we will deal with danger in time, Sarks replied. For now, we have a feast to finish. Where were we in that feast? Sarks gazed around the table. Ah, yes, uh, at the end of the second cup. I believe it's time to sing the customary hymns. Sarks led the tune and poured out the third cup, while the rest of the table joined him with solemn and distracted voices. It was impossible to forget what had just happened, and many of them felt a tangible fear enter their bones. But after the third cup had been poured, everyone ate the meal and entered into lively conversation. Sark smiled and nodded here and there, but he still struggled to break his gaze away from the lamb on the table. After they had finished and were quite stuffed, Sarks then drew his attention to the third cup he had poured earlier. "'God is making a new promise to you through me,' he said." You have already eaten of my body, now you must drink of my blood, which will provide the new promise for you. This, of course, was even more disconcerting than the bread, but each of them partook just the same. Then a fourth cup was poured, and the table entered into another time of singing. Finally, the time came to drink the fourth cup and end the holiday meal. But just as Sarks had changed a few of the components of the night, so he changed this one. We will not be drinking the fourth cup right now, he explained, for it is the most bitter cup of all and it will require great strength to partake of it. I pray that I somehow will not have to drink of it, but I do not see another way. His gaze was drawn once again to the lamb on the table, 
Nothing left of it but its bones. Pray for me, Sarks requested as blood suddenly dripped from one of the scars in his forehead. He picked up a napkin and dabbed the wound. Pray that my, my father's will will be done, no matter how hard it may seem. For when all is said and done, I will partake of this final cup in God's kingdom with you, as we eat of the greatest marriage feast ever cooked. It is there that this cup will be turned from bitter into sweet. And it is then that, that God's new promise will reach its completion and, and his kingdom will fully be established on the earth. It is then that he will pass over all the houses of the earth with his righteous judgment and spare all of those who have painted the blood of my body on the doors of their hearts. Then we may finally close out this holiday meal with the cup of all cups. Hear, hear, said Jimmy. Hear, hear, the rest chimed in. Junia noticed a sudden change in demeanor. The talk of the kingdom had amped them all up again to the point that they seemed to instantly forget the incredibly bitter conversations of the last two hours. Our time here has grown short, said Sarks. As I said last night, the final chain of events has been put into motion, and that motion will scatter you all from me. What? gasped Mason. I would never leave you. I'm sorry, but you're stuck with me, he smiled as he crossed his arms. Sarks gave Mason a dim smile. Again, I appreciate your passion, Mason, but you still misunderstand kingdom tactics. And when you do finally get it, you will not only scatter from me, but deny ever having known me. No, said Mason. No, no, I, I wouldn't. A tear fell from Sarks' cheek as he nodded. But you will. He then looked out the window into total darkness. Not even the moon could be seen. The time is here now. We must leave.
It was there in a garden that Judah reappeared alongside some religious leaders and their servants. There was also a group of soldiers carrying weapons and torches so that they could see in the incredible darkness. Judah's hood covered his face so that it was difficult to see the snake underneath. Sarx's friends, who had been struggling to stay awake, suddenly leapt to their feet and took on a defensive stature. What's happening? called Phil. The start of the Great War, perhaps? said Johnny. He did say time was short. Maybe this is the moment, said Jimmy. Mason began to ponder their words. Guys, I think you're still misunderstanding, interjected Junia. Well, come on now, said Matt. He's taking on a demonic army. He can handle these few. Sarks's face remained expressionless as his cloak and hair blew in the cold wind. How can I help you? asked Sarks, addressing all of the soldiers but staring straight at Judah, who quickly looked away. We are looking for a self-proclaimed king from a small town who entered Old Salem today. Goes by the name Sarks, responded a guard. Are you him? Sarks nodded slowly and replied, I am. Immediately, the spirit of light burst out of him in all directions, causing the soldiers to draw back and fall to the ground. Sark slowly approached the confused soldiers. How can I help you? He asked again. Uh, said the chief guard as he pulled himself up, confused as to what had just happened. We, we are looking for a man named Sarks. I told you, that's who I am, replied Sarks as the spirit of light pushed the guard once again. Let my friends go and I will come with you. As soon as Sarks had made this statement, he heard a loud yell from the trees. Mason popped out behind a servant with a sword in hand. The servant turned to see what was happening, throwing off Mason's aim in the process and causing him to slice the servant's ear off. The man fell to the ground yelling in pain and cupped his hand around his ear to hold in the blood. Sarks looked directly at Mason with intensity burning in his eyes. What have you done? he asked. I told you I wouldn't betray you, Mason cried. Is that what you were doing all day while I was preparing dinner? You were out buying a sword? The kind of sword I explicitly told you you wouldn't need in ministry when I sent you out to do miracles with your sister? Asked Sarks with a raised voice. Sarks shook his head as Mason looked down at the poor servant. I, but I... You have disobeyed my instructions and taken a pot shot at a poor slave. A slave of all people, which I just told you hours ago that you are to live like in order to be great in the kingdom, yelled Sarks. I, how am I supposed to storm the gates of hell and build your kingdom there without a weapon? Mason yelled back in confusion. I'll be killed the moment I walk in. As I told you before, in your passion, you have misunderstood the kingdom of heaven, answered Sarks. Y you said I had to be all in. I'm all in right now, yelled Mason. Yes, all in because you very well may have to lay down your life for the cause at the hands of your oppressors, for your oppressors. For the kingdom is often bought with blood, not theirs, but your own. This is a tactics of heaven, and should you have been paying attention like your sister, you would have noticed this by now. Sarks then dropped to his knees and picked up the slave's ear. He shushed the poor man, saying, All will be well in a moment, 
He then pressed the ear to the man's head and prayed. Immediately the ear was reconnected and the man was healed, causing everyone to gasp in disbelief. He then looked one last time at Mason. We put body parts back on people. We never take them off. We do not stoop to the level of the dragon in order to fight the dragon. When we do so, even in our victory, we have already lost and perpetuated the kingdom of hate, installing it deeper into every country we enter. We fight by laying down our lives. Now I see that you are willing to die for me if you can hold a weapon. Are you willing to die for me without one? Sarks then grabbed Mason's arm and pulled up his sleeve. You're growing scales, Mason. Mason's eyes began to swell up with tears as he was overcome with terror. Scales? He was becoming a dragon? And what could he do to the gates of hell without a sword? How would Sarks become king without an army? How did anything make sense without some kind of weapon? Anxiety overcame him as he dropped his sword and ran into the forest as fast as he could. Sarks turned to Junia. Take care of him, he nodded. The others also turned and ran away, scattering across the forest. The kingdom of heaven was now becoming real to them for the first time. Sarks was now alone with the dragon's many puppets, and despite the evening's displays of power, they were still all too blinded by the plaintiff to let Sarks go. Sarks watched as a religious official handed Judah some money, and in that very moment the snake encompassing him spit him out. He then crawled up to Judah's ear and whispered, Shame, and slithered away. The guards grabbed Sarks and led him away, leaving Judah standing there with his cash. His pupils suddenly returned to a normal size as the coin slipped through his fingers and crashed to the ground with an unexpected thunk. A cold wind swept by him, and immediately he knew the plaintiff was near. A metallic claw reached out from behind him, and placed the sword that Mason had dropped into Judah's hand. You don't deserve to live, said the shadow over his shoulder. Candles lit up the large room that Sarks now stood in as a prisoner. The place felt familiar to him, but fake at the same time, as though the room was trying to resemble something ancient and sacred, but had failed completely. It didn't matter how much the architecture got it right, it was the atmosphere that was wrong. The air was stale and tasteless and carried the same spiritual weight that hell did. It stunk. I hope my guards didn't rough you up too much on the way over, said a man at the top of the stairs, clearly the ringleader of the group. But then again, if they did, I can't help but feel that you probably deserved it. Is this the way of a priest these days? asked Sarks. 
Are they all ruffians who pull people out of the dark while they're praying? It is our way when it has to be, the man replied. And it seems that with you, it has to be. Why is that? Numerous reasons, really, the man replied. Your teaching, for one, it's off-putting. You're a radical who garners more of a crowd every day around faulty doctrines. You're worse than any of the other denominations out there, for you do not conform to anyone's teaching in full. You're a heretic. He then lunged forward into Sarx's face while the soldiers continued to hold him. Mm, tell me, Sarx, what exactly is the basis of this teaching of yours? Why did you need to arrest me to figure that out? Just ask anyone I've ministered to and you'll get an answer. I'm not sneaking around, spreading teaching like some heretic. I'm preaching it from the stage in godly places. If there was a problem, surely I wouldn't have been able to teach so frequently. A soldier slapped Sarks across the face, leaving a red mark so bright that his fingertips could be seen. Is that how you talk to a priest? asked the soldier. Sarks blinked and widened his eyes as though it would erase the sting. Is that how you act when someone tells you the truth? He responded. Your teaching is full of lies, said the priest. You speak against us, the very people trying to save the world and pave the way for God's kingdom. We live lives of righteousness and teach others to do the same, following every command and every law so that we can beckon in God's return. We lost God's presence with our great sin, but now we will earn it back with our great morality. Sarks laughed slowly. <laughs> great morality? The sacred book has a heart. It's living and breathing and speaking, but you, you treat it like magic. As though following rules to a fault will turn your life into an incantation that beckons in the kingdom of God. But your capacity to meet expectations means nothing if you cannot appeal to the book's heart. All of your skills and disciplines equate to nothing more than a dead man's bones in an expensive coffin. Granted, you look nice, and you certainly trot your beauty around for all to see, but you have no heart. And if love cannot be found in you, then you have no part in the kingdom of God, let alone the ability to usher it into this world. You are full of judgment and hate, and you not only hold our people up to a heartless interpretation of our book, but you also place on them the weight of doctrines you yourself came up with and teach them as though they were the word of the Creator Himself. Is your pride never-ending? And what's more, you pervert the law to your gain. You've become rich with the blood-soaked cash of the poor. And rather than house the poor, you've twisted the scriptures to grant you the ability to steal their homes. How dare you? The priest roared as the soldiers shook him. How dare I? How dare you turn my father's house into a den of thieves? <laughs> God is your father now, is he? laughed the priest. You would recognize it were so if you weren't so blinded by your own father, the dragon, Sark scolded. The priest's face turned beet red. Get him out of my sight, 
he screamed as the guards pulled Sarks down the hallway. Sentence me if you will, but in the end you will see me high and lifted up for all to see, Sarks said as he was dragged away. And with that, the doors closed behind him, the noise reverberating throughout the hall for some time. After a moment, a handful of priests came out from behind the pillars in the room. He is too powerful, said the lead priest. If we let him go, he will destroy everything we've worked to build. His following is too large, said another. Yes, hissed the priest. He must die. It's time to ask for a favor from the real king around here. He'll do something, said Jimmy as he walked through the mob of people with a scarf and a hood covering his face. He has to, right? asked Johnny. I mean, I get it now. We really didn't understand this whole kingdom thing, but, but we can hardly install heaven in old Salem, let alone the earth, if the king of heaven is dead. Sarks and two other men were being pushed through the city by two guards who were whipping and mocking them, leaving large open wounds across their backs. Come see the inauguration of your king, they yelled. Join the parade and celebrate. One of the prisoners leaned over to Sarks. Come on now, king, don't think I haven't heard of ye. You're the miracle worker, yeah? Get us out of here already. Make us invisible or something. Use your magic. Sarks walked silently through the crowd, grunting as the whip hit his back. The prisoner laughed. Yeah, you're a joke. Just a dead man like the rest of us. Would you shut up, yelled the other prisoner. This is a holy man in front of you who hasn't done anything wrong, and yet you mock him? Have you no fear of God? You and I, we deserve this punishment. But this man, this king, has been unjustly treated. The cruel prisoner cleared his throat and spit. Sarks turned to the kind prisoner and managed to give him a small smile while blood poured down his back. Sarks's eye was bruised from an earlier ruckus with the guards, and the slap of the soldier from the night before had turned into a bruise as well. He was a mess. But despite Sarks's lowly appearance, the prisoner put his fist to his chest and bowed his head. Hail King Sarks, he said. Find me after I join you in my kingdom, smiled Sarks. I'll give you a tour of paradise. He then let out a loud grunt as the whip cracked across his back once again. A woman broke out of the crowd with a crown she had made out of thorns and yelled, All hail King Sarks! She then jammed it into his skull, cutting open the scars that were already there and creating new ones as well. The mob cheered. She then spit on his face and ran back to the crowd and laughed loudly. <clears throat> Forgive them, father. They are all blind to the truth, whispered Sarks. He turned behind him to see a vision of the demons who were pulling the strings behind their soldier puppets. Finally, they reached their destination, a stadium-sized cage with a forest inside. The three prisoners were shoved inside and the door was locked behind them. The crowd gathered around the cage on all sides and waited for the tournament to begin. Would these prisoners beat death? Everyone knew they wouldn't. No one ever did. 
Time to hide, partner, said the cruel prisoner as he jolted for a tree inside the cage. But before he had gone far, the earth began to shake, and a beastly hand came up through the ground. Flames burst around the beast as it pulled itself up to its feet. As it stood up, it was comparable to the size of a two-story house. Behemoth, they called him. He had the face of a hippo and the tusks of an elephant. His yellow reptilian eyes widened with the sight of his prey. The earth shook with every step he took towards the cruel prisoner. This frightened the kind prisoner and he ran towards a sizable lake inside the cage. It was close enough to the bars that he wondered if perhaps there was a way to swim underneath the cage and out to freedom. But Sarks remained still. He shielded his eyes from the horror as a tear rolled down his cheek. He had no desire to see the death of the prisoners, even the cruel one. The crowd roared as the prisoner's body was crushed by the beast's giant foot. The creature then picked up his corpse and consumed it. Sarks! screamed a familiar voice behind him. He turned to see the arms of his mother reaching through the bars to embrace him. Standing next to her were Junia, Marie, and Jimmy and Johnny. My baby! she yelled in terror as her voice cracked. Mama, he cried as he jammed his face up against the metal poles. She put her arms around him, completely unconcerned about the blood that stained her sleeves. Her face contorted as she placed her hands on his cheeks and moved his hair out of his eyes. Please, please tell me there's another way. I do only what I see my father doing. I'm afraid this is my cup to drink, cried Sarks. Why? She bawled. There has to be another way. Mama, look at me. This is the only way. I know this is hard to watch, but I need you to be strong for me. He then turned to Johnny. You will take care of her in my absence, yes? A tear fell down Johnny's face. Yes, Sarks, whatever you desire. Mama, you will take care of Johnny. Of course, Sarks, she cried. But I don't want you to go, not this way. Any way but this way, please. Sarks tried to force a smile as tears swelled up in his eyes. I love you, Mama, he said. The crowd erupted in cheers as the head of a huge serpent came swiftly out of the lake and devoured the kind prisoner. Sarks then let go of his mother, took a deep breath, and began to limp slowly towards the middle of the cage. Sarks, called his mother. Sarks! She screamed louder. She continued to yell until she could no more, her throat too broken from the pain. She fell into Junia's lap, and the two of them bawled together. Sarks's heart broke more than it had ever been broken as the spiritual weight in the atmosphere grew to unimaginable levels. God, he prayed quietly as he limped. Why have you left me here alone? The audience grew quiet as a hot wind blew by their faces. But it wasn't exactly like wind. It almost had the pattern of waves, each in sync with a low-pitched whooshing noise that was growing louder and louder. It's the plaintiff, yelled a child. 
the audience was instantly filled with awe and fear. Usually the plaintiff sent others to do his dirty work. He didn't typically do it himself. But there he was, as beautiful and as terrifying as ever. The great dragon landed on the cage and ripped the bars apart with his metallic claws. The audience cheered as he slithered into the cage. Oh, I am going to love this, he hissed as the people laughed. Sark stood completely still and didn't say a word. Smoke came out of the dragon's nostrils as he breathed. Come on now, King Sarks, son of God, son of man. Surely you're not too shy to talk to your kingdom. Now's a good time to share your last words. Still, Sarks did nothing. Very well, then, growled the plaintiff. I guess I'll just have to make you speak. The dragon then nailed Sarks down to the floor, holding him under his metallic foot. Sarks could still breathe, though quite uncomfortably. Speak, the dragon hissed. Sarks remained quiet. Two metallic claws extended out of the plaintiff's foot and were plunged into Sarks's hands. Speak! He hissed louder. Sarks let out a yelp of pain, but still said nothing. And so the dragon drove two more metallic claws into his feet. Speak! The plaintiff roared as Sarks cried out and stained the earth with blood. But still he refused to talk. Maria's cry could be heard for miles. Fine. If you are out of words to say, then I will ensure that your final noises are nothing more than cries of pain. The dragon then bit into Sarx's heel and used his teeth to toss him high into the air to catch him in his mouth and devour him. The priests watched with excitement. There he goes, men, said the lead priest. He certainly was high and lifted up for all to see, wasn't he? The others laughed. Sarx's body flew through the air, a bloodied mess. And as he came down, he stretched his arms out wide and whispered, It is done. And all went black. As Sarks came to in the spirit, he noticed many former angels in front of him, each chained to the wall in this gloomy place. Welcome to the afterlife, one of them smiled devilishly. Who would have thought, said another, the son of God, sentenced to the same place as the sons of God. Perhaps you don't have to do anything especially wrong to be sentenced here after all, chimed in another. You can take up human wives and birth your own creation like we did, or you can try your best to complete God's mission and fail, and still end up in this place just the same. I still can't believe it worked, cried another. I didn't think Daystar would actually pull it off, 
I know, laughed another. I mean, we devised a pretty good plan to use Judah against him, but I thought for sure you would call down a legion of angels to help him or something. You did have that power to do that, didn't you, son of God? Or were you really like nothing more than a son of man in the end? Because you certainly died like one. Sark surveyed the room of chained-up fallen angels, and then surveyed his own wrists and feet. You do realize that I don't have chains on like all of you, right? The angels paused. Well, sure. But well, you've still been abandoned here, one replied. Maybe you have a little more freedom than the rest of us, but you're still stuck. I suppose that would be true under normal circumstances, nodded Sarks. Certainly none of you have ever escaped this place before. You've been stuck down here for centuries and will remain here until the bitter end for your sins. The angels mumbled and huffed at him. I guess that's the thing, though, said Sarks. I wouldn't say this qualifies as normal circumstances. What are you talking about? yelled an angel. Oh, come on, guys, said Sarks, rolling his eyes. You know the omniscience of God better than anyone. Or at least you should. Do you really think that in God's foresight, he truly did not account for this moment right now? We beat him, hissed an angel. All the forces of the underworld banded together and we killed you. It's done. You are now a slave to death just like the rest of humanity. Ah, yes, the curse of death, said Sarks. I'm trying to remember... What were the rules on how that worked again? You already know the story, said another angel. The plaintiff convinced humanity to pursue the corruption, and their sin brought death into the world. Therefore, all humanity is subject to sin and dies. Simple as that. Well, that's just the thing, said Sarks. I don't recall ever sinning. Of course you did, said another. You were human! All human sin! But you also called me the Son of God, said Sarks. Well, sure, we can see both identities in you, said an angel. That doesn't make you sinless. I mean, we were sons of God, and we certainly sinned. Check my name in the Book of Life, and you will see that I did, in fact, live a sinless human life, said Sarks. Which means... You all overstepped your bounds and broke the rules when you killed me. And I believe that means that the keys of death are no longer in your authority to carry. No! shouted an angel. There's no way you lived a sinless life. Only God himself could do that. Suddenly, Sarks's entire body began to glow the brightest white anyone had ever seen. That's right, Azazel said Sarks. I am the only one who could do that. Three days after killing Sarks, the plaintiff suddenly felt incredibly uncomfortable and got up from his throne. Almost as soon as he had stood up, a beam of light cracked through his stomach and a fist reached through it. The dragon roared and fell on his back in pain as Sarks pulled himself through the reptilian skin. While the plaintiff was still on his back, 
Sarks waved his hand across the air, and the dragon's metallic legs fell off and rolled into the lava, where they melted in its heat. The dragon roared as fire filled his veins. Sarks then ripped the keys of death from the underworld off of the dragon's neck as he hissed angrily. The plaintiff craned his neck over his stomach and began to blow fire into the opening Sarks had created and attempts to cauterize the wound. He then rolled onto his stomach and snapped at Sarks like a snake, but Sarks leapt over the dragon's mouth and landed on his head with such incredible force that his footprint was permanently lodged into the plaintiff's skull. Sarks then waved his hand again, and the plaintiff's metallic wings flew off into the lava and also melted. The snake shook his head furiously, throwing Sarks off the island and into the deep lava. The plaintiff breathed heavily, his eyes filled with rage and humiliation at the same time. He had won now. He was sure of it. But then, suddenly, Sarx's head appeared above the lava as he slowly walked back towards the island, his body being revealed inch by inch. The lava rolled off his skin, revealing no damage. The snake's eyes grew huge. Face it, Sark said. Had you known what killing me would do, or that my death was a part of the plan all along, you would have never touched me. The snake looked confused and terrified. Oh, now you're the one who doesn't talk? Sarks taunted. Just then, thunder cracked across the sky, and water began to rush down into the volcano like a flood, quickly turning the lava into rock. What is happening? hissed the snake. It doesn't rain here. This, said Sarks, is the rise of the Water Kingdom. And instantly, Sarks disappeared. Mason, Junia, and the rest of the gang sat around a campfire on the beach cooking fish when rain began to pour in the middle of a cloudless day. The clash between the rain and the sun were so vibrant that the sky lit up with a beautiful rainbow and the whole beach began to glow like a prism. Everywhere they looked, shimmery shades of red, yellow, green, and blue were swirling around. It's beautiful, isn't it? asked a familiar voice. Everyone turned around immediately to see what they thought was a ghost. Sarks was letting off a soft glow while whittling the end of a long stick. He walked towards Mason. Sarks? Mason asked. Are, are you... are you a spirit? No, answered Sarks with a smile. I told you I would give you evidence that resurrection is real before all of this was over. He then glanced down at Mason's arm. Let me see it, friend. Mason blushed, embarrassed to be a disgusting, scaly creature in front of such a glorious man. I'm not qualified for this job. Let me see your arm, Sark said again as he reached out and grabbed it. Mason rolled his eyes in embarrassment. I've tried everything to get rid of it. I just can't seem to wash it off, he said. Of course not, 
You've already been washed, but you still need me to take care of the dust that you kick up day by day. Sarks pulled at a scale, causing Mason to inhale sharply through his teeth. That is pretty stuck, said Sarks. Your shame holds it tightly to your skin. Well, of course I'm ashamed. I deserve to be ashamed, cried Mason. You put so much hope in me, and I left you hanging. I denied you to everyone I met, and left you to die in a cage. I heard the stories of what they did to you. We all heard the stories. How are you even here right now? I told you, said Sarks. Resurrection is a different kind of life. It doesn't work the same as life as you know it now. Mason wiped a few tears from his eyes as Sarks continued to look at his scales. Mason, said Sarks, do you love me? Mason closed his watery eyes tightly. I know it's hard to believe given the way that I've been acting, but yes, I, I do. I really, really do. Sarks rubbed his hand across Mason's arm and a third of the scales fell off. Then take care of those who join me in expanding the kingdom, he said. Mason, do you love me? He asked again. Mason sniffed. I just said yes, you know I do. Then take care of those who join me in expanding the kingdom, he said as he rubbed another third of the scales off of his arm. He then repeated the question again. Mason, do you love me? Yes, said Mason. I, I know I love you. Sarks rubbed his arm one last time as the final scales fell off. And I will take care of those who join you in expanding your kingdom. Sarks smiled and began to walk towards a dock on the sea. Wait, where are you going? asked Junia as she wiped the rain from her face. <laughs> I'm a king, laughed Sarks. I have a throne in heaven to attend to. Wait, but then how will you lead your citizens on earth? Junia yelled to him. My spirit, the spirit of light, will guide you and all who join you, he said. You mean God's spirit? Bart called back. That's what I said, winked Sarks. My spirit. And with that, he dived off the dock into the water, but vanished while still in the air. Bart looked around at his drenched friends as the rain continued to pour. Uh, guys, Bart said, Who exactly did we just spend the last few days with? <laughs>